Today's teaching text comes from Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. I welcome you in today in whatever place you find yourself. Um, I just want to invite you right here at the top to bring your whole heart and mind to God this morning. And uh, of course, that's that's always the inv- invitation, but uh, I just invite you to make it a, a conscious moment in your heart even right now that you just bring your whole self before God and imagine the possibility that uh, the God of the universe, uh, the God who knit you together, the God who loves you beyond uh, what you'll ever be able to comprehend may want to speak something really personally uh, to you this morning, may want to speak something that uh, broadly um, communicates to our whole church family. Uh, I think that's such an opportunity that we just want to be aware of. For so many of us, this week has been uh, uh, another week of, of exasperation, of, of grieving, of of living in in, in in the tension of this of this year, and yeah, we've we've begun to pray. Uh, we've prayed this morning, and I just want to call you as as the pastor of this church, uh, as one of the uh, the leaders here, to continue to pray, to press in to venting your heart to God in, in this time. I believe we are in a crucial moment uh, in our nation as we confront um, ongoing racial injustice. Um, uh, this this ongoing pan- pandemic, this upcoming presidential election, there's so much at stake right now. And uh, I want to ask you at TGC, let's be among those who are crying out to God. Um, let, let, let it not be said of us that we have not because we ask not. Whatever happens, may it be that we were, we were pouring out our prayers on the altar. We were adding them to those mysterious golden bowls that are pictured in Revelation where the, the prayers of the saints are collected. Uh, we we want to pray for justice. We want to uh, ask God to, to bring healing to our land. We want to pray that, that God would raise up leaders that can um, bridge these divides and, 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 and can help us move forward in, in, in these realities of justice and healing. And uh, we're, we're taught by Christ to pray that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And, and so let, let it be that as a, as a church, we're crying out for that. And we're going to have to be intentional, right? Life is um, hectic and busy and taking lots of different forms right now than, than a normal autumn in many of our experiences. And so we're going to have to be intentional about praying uh, this way. And, and I want to call us to something uh particular in that in that regard right now. I, I want to ask that we as a church um, even fast and pray during the month of October as we lead up to the election, um, as, uh, as we're praying for our nation, but also praying for our city, praying for our neighbors. So I want to tell you what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to invite you to join in with me. I'm going to set aside Wednesdays as a day that I'm going to fast. I'm going to, and you can set aside one meal or you can fast from the time you wake up until sundown or the whole 24 hours, whatever you, you want to do. And, and, um, you know, we got some resources if you're interested in like, hey, I've never ha- I've never fasted before and, and you want those, um, we can definitely get 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 those in, in your hands. But um, fasting is a way to pray, not with just your words, but your body to say, I'm hungry for God. We're going to come just a little bit later in these Beatitudes to blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And, and that fasting is a way to say, God, I'm hungry for you. I'm beyond my own resources. I can't can't meet the needs of my own life or the needs of the world out of my own resources and I'm hungry for you to move. And so 
I want to invite us to fast on Wednesdays, whether that's for a meal or for the whole day. And then also to pray with others. We've mentioned it each of these last few weeks that we have these opportunities throughout the week where you can pray with other people in our church um, on, on online. And you don't have to leave your home. You don't have to go anywhere and travel. And you can just show up and immediately join your hearts together and join your faith together and pray. Particularly on Wednesdays in the middle of the day at 1 p.m., we have a prayer uh, time that we're crying out uh, for our, our nation, for our city, for our neighbors. Uh, so if you're fasting on Wednesday, hey, you're already giving up lunch. Uh, I really encourage you to, to tune into that, that prayer time on Wednesdays and, and intercede with us throughout this month. Let it not be that we have not because we ask not. Okay, we have come to the third uh, of our Beatitudes, um, Jesus' Beatitudes this morning. We're moving through this famous opening of maybe the most well-known sermon in, in the world. Whatever you think about Jesus as, as Savior and, and King and, and God, um, you know, th- this sermon has been looked at and revered and studied and, 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 and sort of drained for its uh, unbelievable wisdom and, and grace for, for centuries. And so, so far we've heard, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And now, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, there's going to be a change sort of if you follow this as the list continues, and we're going to get into some qualities in the ones that are coming um, that are more easily kind of immediately seen as virtues or, or, or good things. But these first three, they would have been heard with a level of shock. And sometimes like preachers say how shocking or scandalous something is, and it's just like, yeah, is it really? It doesn't feel that particularly scandalous. But uh, to uh, uh, first century hearers, these absolutely would not, if you said happy, fortunate, blessed, flourishing, and then you followed it with the things Jesus has said, it wouldn't have made sense to them. It would have felt like he was, uh, these are oxymorons. This is a bizarre way to begin your manifesto of the kingdom of God. But um, he essentially says, happy, fortunate, blessed, flourishing are those who are destitute in their inner being, uh, who have poverty of spirit. What? Uh, blessed are those who are on the front row at a funeral, who are crushed with sorrow, right? Blessed are those who are mourning. They're going to be comforted. One of the most stirring uh, things I saw in all the reaction to the Breonna Taylor grand jury verdict this week um, was just several very simple but impassioned pleas um, to imagine if she was your daughter or she was your sister, like, what if we begin to treat one another like we were family and and not just like opposing sides of all of these different issues and 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 you don't have to be an expert in the in the legality of the case or the particular details right it's it is problematic when we when we come up on so many of these situations and we begin to do this whataboutism and explaining awayism and we're missing the opportunity to grieve the reality that there is there's agony and pain and brokenness and loss and there and and whatever the particular particularities of of a given case are there is a a, a historical reality in our nation that we have to confront, we have to repent of, we have to move move beyond with the grace and power of uh, of Christ. I, I I believe in the the, the help of the Holy Spirit uh, to, to to move past these things. But the the simple invitation to just imagine she was your daughter, just imagine she was your sister. How differently might you think about this? And and Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are in that place. Blessed are those who are on the front row at the funeral, who people just walk 
pass and they stammer, not knowing what to say or how to offer comfort in any way. Blessed are those who are crushed in their spirit. What? What? How can Jesus say, blessed are those who mourn? It says the poor in spirit are going to be given the kingdom of heaven or have the kingdom of heaven, maybe. Um, but th- th- those who mourn are going to be comforted. And this third one um, is, is like the others. Even if that English word meek sort of hits us in a maybe a little more palatable way, like um, it sounds initially, it sounds a little better than, uh, you know, outright poverty of, of our spirit or, or grief or sorrow. Meekness is like, I don't know what that means maybe, but it sounds all right. And, and then the promise of accompanying this beatitude, uh, it maybe seems like the craziest one of all so far. Like we were like, yeah, spiritual, I got the kingdom of heaven, or I'm going to be comforted one day. That'll be nice inherit the earth what like what exactly does that does that even mean um but i want to tell you it, this third beatitude uh it, it's in the category of the first two meekness was not a first century virtue um any more than being devastated by sorrow or lacking the inner resources to navigate the world were, were virtues or seen as virtues uh, in the first century world you remember this is something we have to keep in mind as as our context how often those people who came to jesus even how often those who were in the closest inner circle of jesus life thought that they had signed on with a revolutionary who was demonstrating that he had um, power from heaven to change things on the spot, to make someone who couldn't see, see, to make someone who who was hungry have enough to eat, to make someone who was cast out of society be brought in. That type of power, if you apply it to revolutionary actions, it could be tremendously effective at, at what they were hoping for, which was to take power and to drive out the Roman occupiers and to establish a new golden age age in Israel where God's promises to Abraham uh, were going to be fulfilled according to their expectations, right? This is what I've always wanted God to do. And now I'm signed on with this revolutionary. He's going to do it. And Jesus, unfortunately, often cuts against their expectations. And he doesn't seem to be bringing about the kingdom in the way they were hoping. So when he begins laying out his manifesto of the kingdom of God and, and, and people have gathered because he's been healing folks. And then he says, these shocking things, these things that would have initially struck the ears of his hearers as, as somewhat backwards. And I think if we don't allow familiarity to breed contempt, they can shock us as well. I, I read an author this week who has written on the Beatitudes, Jonathan Dodson, and, and he was trying to imagine what a, uh, what a secular uh, list of the Beatitudes in America would, would, would be like. And I thought that was a kind of an interesting thought exercise. He, he says um, in his book, The Good Crisis or Our Good Crisis, what would a brutally honest list of secularized Beatitudes look like? You think of what they might be. What might you add? Blessed are the driven, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who are true to them, true to themselves, for they will be happy. I like blessed are the comfortable, for they will never have to sacrifice. And to borrow a line from Kendrick Lamar, blessed are the liars, for the truth can be awkward. That was Jonathan Dodson experimenting with what, what a list of secularized beatitudes might look like. And, and the crowd that Jesus was speaking to, 
whether they were totally conscious of it or not, whether we're totally conscious of it or not, they had a list in their mind of, of things that made for a good life, that things that, that should follow a word like makarios, blessed, happy, fortunate, flourishing. There was a list that, that, they, that they had, right? And it showed up in their accepted norms. It showed up in the stories that they told over and over again and the things that they celebrated and the language that they use and whose life mattered to them. And Jesus' list cut against it at many points, and it was shocking. But, but we have our own cultural list. I tried to go through the Beatitudes myself and just think, what are a few that mirror some of the marketing folk wisdom of America? Some of just like what's in the water of our, of our culture? And uh, here's a few of mine. Maybe you would add some or change some of these, and they're not meant to be perfect or exhaustive, but this is just getting my mind moving in that direction. Blessed are those who are rich in opportunity, who are on top, those who don't have to depend on anyone else, for they can choose their own way. Blessed are those who know how to stay detached and protected so they don't get carried away with how up and down the world can be. Blessed are those who are powerful and confident, for they don't have to spend time second-guessing. Blessed are those who hunger for the best of life and then go out and take it. Blessed are those who make sure no one gets away with anything because we can't be fools in this world. Blessed are those who have tried enough of everything to know what they like, and they won't let anyone pin them down or restrict their self-expression. Blessed are those who win, because the rest, those who lose, are forgotten. Blessed are those who make, no, make sure no accusation ever sticks against them because they actually control the system. I just went through the Beatitudes and, and took each one and thought, what, what, how does this actually play out in, in, in American sort of folk wisdom? And, and those are the ones I came up with. And uh, the reality is from the first century until now, what you don't hear people say is, I'm blessed, I'm happy, I'm fortunate because I'm anxious and lonely and I don't have the inner resources to make it through today. You don't hear people say, blessed, happy, fortunate am I because I'm overcome with grief and sorrow. Let's celebrate. You don't hear people saying, blessed are you when you're the last one someone notices, the last one someone would expect something from. But Jesus is saying in the beginning of this sermon that he has come and his kingdom is for anyone. It is for anyone, no matter where they have started. And, and by putting these up front, he's, he's, he's doing something intentional. He's, he's emphasizing the reality that those that people would least expect to be first in the kingdom of God, right? This upside down reality of Jesus' kingdom keeps showing up. He's doing something by putting those that no one would have expected in the opening words. Scott McKnight, uh, who I think is one of the strongest um, uh, New Testament theologians in, in America today, he says this, if we put these first three Beatitudes together, we find Jesus blessing the oppressed and the poor for their powerful trust in God, their willingness to wait on God for justice in the kingdom, and for their devotion that runs so deep they mourn over the condition of Israel and implicate themselves in the cause of that condition. These are the sorts of people, not the typical ones, that are and will be in the kingdom. 
I want you to imagine if you haven't already in one of these first weeks, Jesus has, has gone up. He's, he's sitting in a place where he's elevated so people can hear him, but he's sitting down in the position of a rabbi. He's teaching so that people can, you know, more than just a few people can listen to the words he's saying, but also can speak back to him. And he's looking at the, their lives and he's drawing these illustrations right from the actual lives of the people who are, who are listening to them. Last week, we mentioned a few groups of folks, um, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes, um, at least three of the four of those of those leader groups um, that, that would have been making up part of the crowd that Jesus was speaking to, at least three of the four of them were uh, taking different approaches to the same problem. And the problem was, uh, for, for a, a Jewish person in the first century, how do we get our land back? How do we get our nation back? How do we get our freedom back? How do we get, how do we remove Rome and get the promises that are coming to us that were given to Abraham all the way back in the day? And each of these folks, the Pharisees and the Essenes and the Zealots, they were, they were approaching the, 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 that problem from different angles. So the Pharisees said, we're going to get it back through strict public obedience. We're going to show one another and show God that we're keeping Torah. And so he will bless us. Uh, the Essenes similar to that, but even further, they're like, we're going to withdraw from community. We're going to maintain a pure and holy remnant, and God will have to bless us with returning these promises to us. And then you had the Zealots who said, no, that's that's not going far enough. We're not just going to withdraw. We're going to come down from the mountains and strike violently. We're going to drive back our Roman oppressors, right? All of these were responses to uh, one of the hopes that even Jesus' disciples carried with them as they, follow, as they followed Christ, that he would drive out. Rome and return them to the place of promise. And so Jesus begins to speak. And far from being the expected revolutionary, right, his words sort of break categories. They just don't fit. And then he does bizarre things like he selects a zealot who was violently opposed to Rome and ready to do whatever it takes to the point of killing people to get Rome out, select Simon the Zealot and Matthew, the tax collector, who had utterly sold out to Rome, sold out his neighbors and said, I'm going to collect taxes for the occupying empire. And he puts the two of them on the same team. This would have been scandalous. This would have made those nice meals we picture Jesus having with his disciples very tense, walking around, carrying lambs, wearing Birkenstock, this is not the picture, right? These people hated each other. And Jesus said, you're going to be my disciples. The kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven. And this is a, 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 a microcosm of it, a glimpse, a foretaste. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Maybe you can't keep the Pharisees' rules. right? They were famous for adding weight to uh, to. to to the Torah, right? Your, your, your tithing of your, your mint and your dill and your herbs and you're missing the love of the human being in front of you. Maybe you can't keep the Pharisees' rules. Maybe, maybe you, can't keep your, you can't leave your family's responsibilities and run off and join the Essenes in their community that's withdrawn from the rest of society. Maybe you can't do that. Maybe you can't flee into the mountains and fight with the zealots. But the promises of the kingdom are for you. The kingdom is still for you. Jesus goes back. I mentioned last week the, the group that would have made up the majority of those who were listening to Jesus was Amharetz, uh, the people of the land. And Jesus goes back to this little promise in Psalm 37. It's almost, this beatitude is almost a direct quote from it. 
And this would have been used in Jewish worship over and over again. A little while, this is Psalm 37, verse 10, a little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. The initial Jewish listener to what Jesus was saying would not have first thought about taking possession of the globe or, or, the, or the, the cosmos, but they would have thought about regaining the land that had once been in their family, uh, that, that had once been a part of their family inheritance. And Jesus steps up and, and, and quite unexpectedly says, you know who's going to get that? The meek. We've had a lot of challenging words to translate in the Beatitudes so far. Meek is not uh, not any better. It's a challenging word because it carries connotations from several different English words. And if you don't sort of um, see the layers, uh, you can make it into something that's reduced from its a- actual fullness. Um, but meekness is, is, is uh, I just want to move through a couple of them. Meekness is something like a true understanding of humility. And you can sort of reduce beatitude number one, poverty of sp- spirit, down to humility. We talked in the first week about how it doesn't work exactly. And you can sort of reduce meekness down into humility. And if you take those sort of like glossed over versions, you got two, two beatitudes that sort of uh, you know ex- extol humility to us. And humility is a, a profound virtue, absolutely. Uh, but but I, I think it's important to say uh, this word is something like a true understanding of humility, not humiliation, uh, but a voluntary refusing to uh, uh, a voluntarily <laughs> voluntary refusing to exalt yourself uh, it's like power expressed in service and I think as we move through these definitions of meekness you're going to see they're actually embodied perfectly uh, in in Christ surprise surprise but um, for pow- for your power, whatever power you hold in the world to be expressed in service, you have to have, a, I believe you have to ha- have a secure knowledge that you're loved. In particular, that you have to have a secure knowledge that you're loved by a transcendent being that is not, not whose fickle opinion is not going to rise and fall just based on your performance in a given day or a given week or a given year or a given decade. Uh, and, and I think you see this in Jesus. And I want to read to you um, from Philippians 2 that this dynamic of the humility of Christ comes out. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing, sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one spirit and one mind. And hear this, right? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Do not, do not, not looking only to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being, right, this is getting at the heart of it, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So the majesty, the glory, the power, the celebrated person of of Christ, the word, the second person of the Trinity makes himself nothing comes in the form of a servant, power expressed in service. Now we're getting close, we're getting near what this word meekness is talking about. 
There's a, there's a moment on Monday, Thursday each year where I, I sort of marvel at how it introduces that Jesus gets up to wash his disciples' feet. It says, knowing that the Father had given him all things or put all things under his feet, he took the towel and wrapped it around himself and he went to wash his disciples' feet. It's because he knew who he was. It's because he knew his true identity. It's because he knew the, the, the affirmation, the blessing of the Father, right? Remember when his hair was wet at the beginning of his ministry and the Father had spoken from heaven? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. When you have heard that reverberate in your soul, reverberate in your mind, this is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son. What you can do with your life from that point is let that power be expressed through service because you know God is going to take care of you. If he said that to you, blessed are you, you're my daughter, you're my son, and you know your life is in his hands and he is going to take care of you so you can give away some of what you've got for the sake of your neighbor, for the sake of those around you. Jesus at his trial, right at the end of his life, we're baffled because he has this opportunity to speak out for himself and he just doesn't. Meekness is something like the humility of Christ. It's also something like gentleness, power expressed in love. Um, famously, in Matthew 11, right? Maybe this is one of the, in New York City, maybe this is the most often quoted verse in the ministry time after services. Um, uh, I, I've certainly used this so much. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, right? This is Jesus speaking, I will give you rest. There's never been a passage for the New Yorker, right? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That word gentle, for I am gentle and humble in heart. This is a place where Christ is exposing what his heart is like to us. And it says, I am gentle and humble in heart. It's the exact same root word for meek that we have in the Beatitudes. Uh, Dane Ortland in, in his phenomenal book, which I keep ex uh, recommending to you, uh, Gentle and Lowly, he says, in the one place in the Bible where the Son of God pulls back the veil and lets us peer way down into the core of who he is, we are not told that he is austere and demanding in heart. We are not told that he is exalted and dignified in heart. We are not even told that he is joyful and generous in heart. Letting Jesus set the terms, his surprising claim is that he is gentle and lowly in heart. We can read meekness into it. Meekness is something like humility. Meekness is something like gentleness. Meekness is something like wisdom, uh, which is a true application of knowledge, right? It is not just knowing information, but it is knowing how to apply the truths of life in the actual details of our human interactions and the actual details of the crucial decisions we have to make, the small and the large choices over the course of our, of our life. Wisdom is knowledge uh, uh, applied. And I'll give you James 3. This is the, bro the brother of Jesus writing, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the meekness of in uh, the meekness that comes from wisdom that's James 3:13 the NIV actually translate that word that word humility but again it's the exact same root that we have for meekness here in the beatitude one of the things I think that we're dealing with, one of the things I want to press into as we fast and pray in October is sort of this information crisis that we're dealing with in America, right? We have, the, the, 
Right, when we study the history books one day, like if you travel forward in the future, there's no doubt that the internet age is going to be a new sort of epoch in human history. And the reality that we are flooded with so much information, and there, there of course are benefits to that, right? The ease with which you can find an answer to so many questions, but a plethora of more information does not necessarily go right along with wisdom. And, and now we're dealing with this thing that like every time one of these tragic situations comes up in our country, you have these different tellings of the story, right? All of the information about the news of what's happening around us is, is not just coming to us as bare facts for us to do with what we want, right? It's being, it's being massively editorialized on both sides, even to the point of being a, a caricature, right? It's like, someone embodies their editorial position on a particular thing and then they caricature it in such exuberant fashion in front of us so that they can keep our attention so that we don't change the channel or click to some other link, right? We're sort of rewarding the most absurd among us. And what that does, I think, is puts a tremendous challenge on living in wisdom because so many philosophers and sociologists and writers have been telling us for years, just having a flood of of information doesn't make it easier for you to pick out what is truth and to, and to understand the reality of, of what wisdom, rightly applied knowledge would look like. We have an information crisis in our nation and I, I, we need to pray, pray into that reality. It's not a simple solution. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their scorching opinion on Twitter dropped at exactly the right moment. Now let them show it by their good life by deeds done in the meekness that comes from wisdom. Humility, something like humility, a secure knowledge of God's love. Gentleness, that love uh, expressed, uh, that, that loving expression of power that we see in Jesus that, that defines his heart. And then wisdom, a true application of knowledge, humility, gentleness, wisdom. Blessed are the meek. These things are found in Jesus. Dane Ortland, one more time. Meek, humble, gentle. Jesus is not trigger happy, not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. And Jesus is going to inherit the earth. There's a little messianic, uh, messianic prophecy in, in Psalm 2 uh, that we sometimes hear. It gets put in worship songs and, and, and it says, I have ins- uh, installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possessions, your possession. Those who are listening to Jesus, they wanted this track of land right around them. <laughs> They wanted the the nation they lived in, in this small little corner of the earth, to be returned to them. And Jesus is going to deal with the real things that are right on the top of their heart and mind, absolutely. But he's also after something more. A kingdom where every tribe and tongue and nation is represented. Actually, where the whole earth does belong to him, where the whole earth is full of his glory. And so Jesus is going to inherit the earth. He is the one who embodies this, this, this meekness, fullness. But that, 
in fullness, but that doesn't let us off the hook. We come to Christ and allow him to create this meekness, this reality, this, this humility, this gentleness, this wisdom in us, and we are co-heirs with Christ. That's what Romans 8 says, staggering our minds, right? Uh, this is not just about the land. This is not just about the cosmos. This is about everything. We come to Christ we see his humility, his gentleness, his wisdom, but we don't have to bring these things as our qualification to get in. Right? Remember, it's so important. Before Jesus had done anything in his public ministry, the Father at his baptism speaks over him, blessing. This is my, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Before Jesus gets into any of what's going to come in the rest of the sermon about calls to live the, the kingdom life, he's saying, listen, no matter where you find yourself, poverty of spirit, absolutely crushed in sorrow and mourning, feeling like you don't have anything to offer, feeling like all of the power in your life, however limited it is, has, has been stunted. Kingdom is for you. You receive these things through the person of Christ. As we close, I just want to remind you that passage in Philippians 2 that we read earlier that talked about you know, Jesus having the majesty of heaven and giving up and making himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. I want to just remind you how it ends. Maybe you have forgotten or maybe, maybe you wished I had gone on earlier. But verse 8, it says, And being found in appearance, this is Philippians 2, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. There are some of those, those hinge words in the New Testament that should flood our hearts with joy. He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, going all the way to death, humiliating, agonizing death on a cross. If that's where it ended, it would be a, a, a terrible story. And yet, therefore God, therefore God, that's Easter talk. Therefore God highly exalted him, brought him out uh, of the grave, raised you up, uh, spoke blessing over your life, forgive, you know, forgave you absolutely, brought you into the kingdom as, as a son or daughter uh, with, with full rights, no second class citizens whatsoever, and brought you into union with his son. Do you, do you know this? That God the Father sees you the way He sees Jesus because you're in union with Christ, co-heirs with Him, the same inheritance that's coming to the firstborn from among the dead. Christ is coming to you who, who have come into union with Jesus. All we do is cry out to this Messiah who is inheriting the earth. <laughs> We are not seeing what we want now. The verdict in the Breonna Taylor case is just one example of so many that we are not seeing what we want. We are not seeing what is acceptable now. Right? There, 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 there is a story and in history and brokenness and blood on our hands that we have to be pulled out of, that we have to be forgiven, that we have to begin to carve and make a new way together as, as a unified people. Is that possible even? 
I don't, I don't know, right? We're, we're banging up against some things that feel impossible. And so we're going to have to call on the resources of a power greater than ourselves. Absolutely. We're going to have to come, uh, as the church at least, we're going to have to come into union with Christ. We're going to have to have the faith to walk in His humility, to walk in His gentleness, to walk in His wisdom, to do that with Jesus, not just like Jesus, with Jesus. Because here's the thing, you're never going to be like Jesus unless you walk with Jesus. You're just, it's just never going to happen. The resources are not there in and of ourselves to do it. We have to be sort of drawing from this abiding, intimate relationship to ever begin to, to embody and live in the kingdom as Jesus describes it. But I just said humility, gentleness, wisdom. I don't want you to, to, to miss that, that when you see that embodied in Jesus, that's definitely not the same thing as weakness. Right, you, you just right, remember the story where Jesus goes into the temple and he flips over the table and he says, listen, my father's house is going to be a house of prayer and he drives out the money changers, right? That's the same Jesus who's meek, <laughs> whose meekness is modeled for us in his life and, and who's we're invited into union with him. Both the turning over of the tables and the humbling himself even to the point of death come from the same place and that is a, a rooted confidence in the love of his Father and the sovereignty of his Father, that he knows there are therefore God moments all over the story. And even if you're not in a therefore God moment right now, that they are coming. Therefore God exalted him, lifted him up, healed, rescued. And that's our hope. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, not on their own, but in community, in union with Christ. Heavenly Father, right now, I just ask so simply by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would minister to each person who is hearing this right now, that you would speak to them, God, the, the things that they need to hear, uh, the, th the things that only you can speak, right, beyond all of our defensiveness, God, beyond all of our, our grief, God, beyond all of our exasperation, God, beyond all of our apathy, our, our, our frustration, being bored with just like looking at a screen instead of being together. God, I pray you would minister to us right now by your Holy Spirit. God, Jesus is laying out this manifesto of his kingdom, but we can't access it unless we're in union. So I pray you would draw us to yourself, Lord Jesus, that you would embrace us, that we could hear the blessing of the Father over our lives, the same one that was given to you that we share in because of you, Jesus. Do your work in our midst right now. Show us how we are to respond to your word today. In Jesus' name, amen.